Hello, my friends. You are listening to Grit and Grace. My name is Taverly, and I am your host. I'm here to share my entrepreneurial journey with you, and we'll be bringing on some amazing women who've been helping me, mentoring me, and inspiring me on how Grit and Grace helps them crush it in business, relationships, fitness, family, friends, and all that good stuff. Now, let's get started. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Grit and Grace. We are here today with another episode to talk with another business bombshell that I'm really excited to introduce. And I think you guys are going to learn so much from her. She has an amazing story. She is an amazing woman and someone that has circled into my sphere. And I feel like this is a perfect example of somebody that I can not only learn from, but be able to bring her on and share her story so all of you can learn from her as as well. So Arazu, and I might, I might butcher this last name, but I'm going to try. Um, Zarafshan, we'll see. She can correct me in a minute. <laughs> uh, she's saying that's a good, uh, that was a good pronunciation. Um, she's a passionate and charismatic leader, and she has a reputation for delivering game-changing business results of monumental magnitude. She has more than 20 years of experience leading marketing and product development functions for a number of global and national companies. Arazu is recognized for her ability to drive rapid growth for companies that desire to reach the next level of scale. So listen up, people. If you're in business, this is somebody you really want to hear from today. Arazu has held critical roles in multinational private, public, and private equity-backed corporations such as Hewlett-Packard, ACCO Brands, Crocs, and Otter products. In every role in every company, Arazu has driven transformational changes that moved the needle for the company, measured in revenue, new customer acquisition, market share, category velocity, and capital expenditure. Her breadth of influence has varied from early stage startups to $2 billion product portfolios. Arazu is currently on the advisory board for two Colorado startup companies helping them with fundraising and business strategy. Most recently, Arazu was a chief marketing officer and co-founder of Bold Betty's, an early stage startup with minimal presence in the market. Arazu expanded the brand to gain national recognition across a variety of mediums, led the company to scale to 39 chapters across the United States and Canada, and secured a 300% revenue growth in 12 months. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. Arazu was also the defining element in raising the seed capital for the company at its entirety. So, so that's, we're going to dive into that because I think that that's, that's such a huge accomplishment. And she's passionate about helping others thrive. As such, she works with many women and men across the United States as a trusted mentor and resource. She was a founding member of the president and the president of Elevate Denver from 2014 to 2016, a global organization dedicated to helping women thrive in society and in the workplace. She currently serves on the board of the YMCA in Vancouver, um, Washington, and she is currently, no, Vancouver, Washington, and she is currently on the board of Persian Cultural Circle in Colorado. I was confused with the Vancouver because I'm like half Canadian. So I see Vancouver, I'm like, oh, Vancouver, but no, it's Vancouver, Washington. Um, she holds a master's and bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from the Oregon Graduate Institute of Science and Technology and Washington State University, respectively. She lives in Golden, Colorado, along with her husband um, and their dog. And I think they have a dog, a, a cat and, a, and a, a, a human child as well. So lots of different varieties of babies. But Arazu, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. That is such an amazing um, like background of career, and there's so much in there that I want to talk about today. Um, but you. before we like really dive into the career parts of you, because I think that there is so much to discuss around scaling and you know strategies for business, and of course, I really want to talk about the mentoring piece because it's I think it's a really unknown process on how to really develop good mentor relationships. Um, but what I thought would be really helpful is if we could learn more about you, like where are you from? Like, how did you get to where you're at today? Thank you, Taverly. I am so excited to be on this podcast and hello to all the listeners. Uh, nice to kind of meet you, you know, <laughs> through the voice. Um, I was uh, born in the Middle East in the beautiful country of Iran and I was raised there. Um, 
and I was uh, I lived in Iran in um, a very interesting uh, period of its history. First, um, when I was seven years old, uh, there was a revolution in Iran that resulted in the you know change of regime from a monarchy to what it is now, which is an Islamic republic, and <clears throat> that change impacted pretty much every life um, of any Iranian citizen. And I was seven at the time. And uh, my uh, parents both were quite influential um, in the country. Uh, my uh, father was a colonel and uh, my mom held a pretty high position in the Ministry of Higher Education. And so um, through that revolution, unfortunately, a lot of... Um, you know, people that were friends of my father and, and acquaintances, uh, they were arrested and um, ultimately they, they lost their lives. You know, they were, you know, th th this was a complete takeover by, um, you know, a number of people that really were unhappy with the prior regime and anybody that had anything to do with it. So luckily, and, and really it was because of my dad being such a giving person and being so loved by all, um, he wasn't impacted in that fashion, uh, but he, a number of his friends, unfortunately, were, were you know, prosecuted and ultimately they were, um, they were given capital punishment. And uh, my mom, in her own um, journey, this is very interesting, my mom um, was um, the deputy minister of, um, you know, the, the Ministry of Higher Education. And... Um, she she was not a Muslim. She is not a Muslim, and uh, the revolution that you know came in is an Islamic republic. So if if you're not a Muslim, you know you, you cannot have any position of of any stature. Mm -hmm. And so my my mom um, one day goes to work and goes into the elevator, and uh, her name was on a list of people posted in this elevator that says, if, you're, if your name is on this list, um, you're fired. So don't even bother wow. to come in. Wow. So yeah, yeah. And, and that really left a big, you know, really bad taste in my mom's mouth because, you know, from, from that position that she was, you know, she became a housewife and, you know, someone with no, no power, uh, you know, in any way. And she had to be sheltered by her husband. Um, anyways, so we went through that, and then shortly after that, um, you know, the Iran-Iraq War happened, um, and that was in 1980, that lasted till 1988, and, you know, the, the war was um, on the western, southwestern border of the country, um, and, and I lived in the capital, which was, you know, in the northern region um, of the country, so we were mostly... Um, you know, unharmed by the war, other than just seeing the economic, you know, travesty that that created for right, the country. Right. Um, and, and so, but, but some of the things that I do remember uh, that really were, um, you know, just vivid in my memory is the times that our city, but just Tehran, um, was being bombed uh, by, by the Iraqi, um, you know, uh, fire, you know, pilots. And um, that happened, uh, gosh, you know, I don't know, probably 15, 20 times over a course of, you know, a few years. Um, so, you, so you actually were, your city um, was bombed during the war. Did yeah. you have to go through like raid preparations and like, you know, handle, like, did you guys have to go through like protecting your house or turning your lights off or finding somewhere private to go secure did you have to actually experience that yeah yeah so um you know the protocol was you know there was a citywide alarm siren that would be rung mm. and we would all hear it <clears throat> and there was a male's voice that would come and say you know alert alert the city is being bombed turn off all the lights seek mm. shelter and so <clears throat> we would turn off, excuse me, I, I'm just getting over a cold. So no problem. Um, we um, turn off all the lights and 
you know, the people that had basements, they would go into the basement. Mm. Uh, we didn't have a basement. So we were, uh, we lived in a two story mid rise and we were on the second floor. Um, and so we, we just waited. And, you know, often in those times, I mean, it's amazing how much something like that brings people together. So mm. um, when, the, when the sirens would run, the neighbors would all come. Um, if we had, you know, visitors, we would all just basically share the experience. And, and it's, it's strange because you'd think that I'm talking about sharing a Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. And it wasn't like that. But, but we found such strength and such, um, how do I say, this authentic bond as mm. we are sitting in the dark and listening to the bombs being dropped. Um, none of us were scared. This is it. None of us were scared. It was just all of us, just this, this resolve to get, okay, let's get through this. And then, you know, after all these bombs would drop, when we would hear them and the house would shake, um, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, we turn on the lights. Okay, everybody okay? All right, let's, uh, let's have dinner. And then we sit. <laughs> I can't imagine, you know, if I, if I think about, I mean, first of all, that is a very different upbringing than, you know, what most American kids have ever experienced. And, and I think about sort of the trials and tribulations that children that were your age, you know, even my own children or, or your child, it's just different. They haven't, they have no clue. Um, you know, what that's like. And I think that that creates a perspective in life about family and, yeah. you know, kindness and, and all of that, because in that particular situation, you had absolutely no control. And the fact that you guys would just be like, oh, let's just get through this. And now let's go have dinner. Um, that, that I'm sure, you know, was very difficult, even though, you know, at the time you just, you just dealt with it. You just did what you had to do. But looking back, doesn't it just strike you at how um, unusual of an upbringing compared to where you're living now, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it really makes me appreciate the, the, the privileges that I have mm -hmm. as an American citizen living in this country. I mean, we, yes, there are problems. We all, you know, the country yeah, of is, course. is, yeah. but, but, you know, this is still the best place on this planet. And I thank the divine, however you define it, every single day for being here. So yeah, it's a very different experience and I'm, I'm just very thankful and privileged. Well, I'm thankful that you went through that experience and you're here now too, because it's been such a pleasure getting to know you. Um, you. But how, I mean, how have you conveyed this experience that you went through uh, to your own child? Uh, I, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, on one hand, I try to shelter and shield him mm. from, you know, what I experienced and, um, you know, I feel, I, I feel that, you know, it's, it's, it's a gift that he doesn't have to go through that. And I don't want him to even imagine what it's like to go through that. On the other hand, some of the lessons that I've learned through that experience, um, number one, one can do anything, and I mean anything. The only thing that I believe is not possible are those that the laws of physics don't allow. But one can survive anything. And uh, what I try to do with my son is help him discover that resilience within. Mm. Um, and he's very young. He's six years old, so he still gets upset over very small things. Mm. Um, but you know, the, the whole finding the resilience in you, um, finding that strength that later on, you're going to be amazed that you, you, you found that you, you possess it, It's, um, it's amazing. And I try to, you know, teach him to look for that, bring it out and cherish it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So have, have you been back to Iran at all? I have been, yeah. Uh, so I came to the U.S. in 1990, and then um, had um, quote unquote. It, well, it is. It, I had a, 
a boyfriend in Iran. Yeah, quote, um, unquote, yeah it, it was a boyfriend. Yeah, it was a boyfriend. <laughs> it's a boyfriend. Well, I mean, the concept was very different. I mean, we, we yeah. you know, our relationship, you know, the boyfriend-girlfriend relationship at the time that I lived in Iran was so, I don't know, innocent. <laughs> it was so, it was just, yeah. So I went back and saw him several times. And then, um, and then the last time I went back to Iran was 19, no, I'm sorry, 2005. And then I haven't been back ever since. And, yeah. you know, I, I am a very proud United States citizen. I mean, majority of my life I've lived in the U.S. I only right. lived in Iran the first 18 years. But, um, but my blood is Iranian. Yeah. And I, there's nothing I can do about it. And that blood, there's such a longing for that origin, for, for that heritage amongst everyone that, that, that you know, has emigrated to the U.S. Yes. and understands what I'm talking about. Um, so my blood is Iranian and I'm proud of my blood. Yeah. I'm proud of my upbringing. Um, the times that I, you know, going through the war, going through um, the time where, you know, my dad's friends were being literally executed on TV, um, incredibly difficult. But my best friends, uh, you know, I, I have now, we go back to those times. Yeah. I mean, those, I have four or five best friends. Most of them are in the United States now. And uh, they all shared that with me. We, we, this is an interesting story, again, talking about resilience, you know, I was probably 14 or 15, and with a couple of my friends who were just walking on the streets, going back home from school and eating ice cream, licking ice cream, and there you go, the siren is, is, is rung, and, you know, we hear the male's voice, you know, really, you know, ominous, dire voice, and, uh, you know, we're right smack in the middle of the street. So what do we do, right? So we start just like giggling and laughing and running. And one of my friends is worried about, not about the bomb, but about the shrapnel. And anyways, we survived the eight-hour ice cream <laughs> at home. Well, and, and so that's that resiliency piece. And I, I think that that's, I don't know, from what I, what I see in you, Arazu, I think that it really developed this fire in you. Um, the fire, not just for survival, but the grit to just get through things and make the trivial things not matter. And I love what you said that anything is possible because you know, we're going to talk more about this today, but you know, you've helped so many companies grow and scale and you give so much to other people. And it's one thing that when I first met you, which I think was a few months ago, yeah, it was a few months ago, we sat across the table from each other. We were doing this little, you know, fun little get to know each other event. And I just loved, absolutely loved that you were so passionate about helping others, but you also had like this strong business professional background, but to have that combining it with passion it absolutely has to come from all of those things that you experienced, you know, before the age of 18 that has, you've carried with you today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, giving and helping and, and feeling oneness is, is a purpose for me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it is, it does come from my upbringing because none of us went through the experience I shared with you individually. It was a collective experience. It was mm -hmm. shared with family, with neighbors, with the community, with the country. It was collective and it's instilled in them. And that's how I feel is, you know, we are, we are, yes, we are individuals, but we live collectively and we, we need to give collectively and we need to be a collective body for this world to operate, to, to move in the right direction. Yes. So that's a, that's a purpose for me. Yeah, yeah. That's, that totally makes sense. Okay, so you came to the United States. So we're going to move on here because I want to talk a little bit about all, you know, your, your business experience. So you came to the United States. Uh, I think you, um, was it 2008 you were in Chicago and then you moved to Colorado in 2010. Um, so give us kind of the quick summary as to like what led you to all of these different business ventures and where did you land in terms of the structure of where your purpose could still be fulfilled in those businesses? Oh, great. Thank you. Yeah, so I uh, came to the U.S. in uh, 1990 and I went to engineering school. And, you know, this is like we, we have a formula in, in, in my culture. 
kids aren't asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? You're told what you're going to do when you grow up. Really? Okay. (laughs) So you were told you were going to be an engineer. I was told I was going to be a doctor, actually. But uh, because I was so good at math, you know, my my parents settled. And so (laughs) I became... An engineer. That's kind of a. Um, uh, it's kind of a, a high. Still a pretty interesting choice for settling. But go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, and um, uh, HP hired me. HP is a wonderful company. Still is a wonderful company. And if you cut me, I'm going to bleed white and blue, which are HP colors. Huh. Um, uh, and I spent a good gosh 15 years with HP, I think. And then I got recruited to go to Chicago for a much higher level position, much higher pay, much more, much higher stature. Um, So at the time, my fiance and I moved to Chicago. Um, We bought this gigantic house on a private golf course. And this is in 2007. So right about the economic crash. Uh, We bought this gigantic house on a private golf course. And we're driving these fancy cars in I have this fancy title and on paper, it looks fantastic. It looks so good on paper. And uh, so I tried really to like it. It looks great. Um, I really tried to like it. So 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, finally my body spoke to me and um, I got sick. Yeah. And you didn't love it. You never did love it. I never did love it. I didn't like anything about it. I didn't like the the place I was at. I didn't like where we were living. That that I didn't like Midwest. Uh, I didn't like anything. Anything. So so all those things that on paper were so important to me before. Mm. They you know when I'm lying sick on a hospital bed, they are trivial. They are yeah. they are they they did nothing. Right. None of those things are getting me off the bed. Right. My resume is not getting me off the bed. Right. <laughs> you know? And so um, my fiance and I decided that that wasn't working and, and we needed to change. So we um, left uh, Chicago or yeah, Illinois and uh, moved to Colorado. And no, I never look back at that decision you know, I mean, it, it's, it's one of the best decisions we've made, you know, and it was a hard decision because I left and I was the breadwinner at the time. Mm-hmm. I left the job without any job, you know, waiting right. for me. Right. I just quit and I had a gigantic mortgage and we had all of these debts for mm-hmm. all these fancy cars and things. And we decided, you know, we're not going to be enslaved to a, a physical structure called a house and to material things. So we, we're just gonna have to figure it out. And we moved to Colorado and uh, everything has worked out. But well, you definitely had lessons to learn. I, I'm a firm believer that there's no such thing as mistakes. Um, you know, there's, there's no, you know, we don't, we don't lose at anything that we try. We either win or we learn. And I think that what you're telling me is that you learn the value of joy in your life. You learn the value of you know, living your career with purpose. With purpose. You know, I mean, that was in the big scheme of life, that was a short period of time. But for you, I'm sure it felt like forever. And listen, we've all been there. I'm sure every single person listening right now has been in a phase in their life where you're doing something that you know is not the right thing to do. But it's sometimes, if you can't find a way to just get out of it, especially if you're living at a certain level, it's hard to just like throw in the towel and walk away from that. Sometimes something, you know, the universe, the divine, the God, whatever you want to call it, something comes down and just smacks you. It's like, hello, wake up. This is not where you're supposed to be. Get out of there. And you got that sign, but you definitely learned the value. And, you know, I know you and I talked about this before and I find that, you know, such a tremendous, um, you know, vulnerability to share that what you learned in that, in that period of time. Yeah. Yeah. I I totally agree with you, Tarly, that, you know, (laughs) I, you, you hear those signs, right? When I was in Illinois and I was calling my fiance crying on the phone or crying to my friends or blogging about how miserable I was, um, I, I knew it. I knew that wasn't working. Yeah. 
but but I kept ignoring those signs I can, until my body spoke to me, and then I couldn't ignore it because when your body speaks to you, you, you it forces you to listen. Yes, so hundred percent true. And anybody, if you're listening right now, and you're in a place where you know that your body is speaking to you and you've ignored signs that you're not on your purpose, you know, go back and listen to some of my podcasts about taking risk or having courage because it takes all of those things to make big life changes. And, you know, I know that Arzu and myself both have had to make decisions that are so difficult, uh, but was the right thing for our health. And if you don't have your health, you have nothing. You, I mean, if you, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And so you got to fight for it in the best way that you can. Yeah, absolutely agree. And, you know, that decision, you know, since we have come to Colorado, it hasn't been, you know, a walk in the park. We've had our ups and our downs for right. sure. Uh, and I've had to make other hard decisions as well. But, um, but it's all in the, in the path of purpose. Yeah. And, and I, I identify with it. I resonate with it. I, I get it. I know this too will shall pass when the, the hardship, you know, is faced by me and my family. I know we have what it takes to get through it, you know, and we'll get through it. I love that. And I love that about you, Arzu. It's, I, I know that, uh, you know, my, my listeners right now can't see your face, but I could see your face and your, you know, your grit with such grace is what uh, makes you amazing. I, I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank okay, you. so let's move on. So you ended up in Colorado and you, then you did a whole bunch of other business stuff. What was next? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I got hired by this wonderful, wonderful company called Crocs. I know most of you know that that funky, you know, crazy, ugly shoe, but that-, that <laughs> I love that you included ugly in there. <laughs> But ugly is beautiful, yes. and uh, it's the most comfortable shoe you can ever wear, and, and they actually do have pretty awesome styles as well. Yeah. So I worked for them for about uh, four years, something like that, and um, there was, you know, there was business changes and, uh, you know, things that happened in a business. But, but what I did with Crocs, you know, which was really, really awesome, was I helped them become customer-centric, you know, uh, Crocs you know, had grown organically uh, so much and they were, they were such a loved brand. They're still a loved brand by so many people, but they really didn't know, you know, who really loved them and why they were loved so much and where are the areas that they needed to improve on, uh, where are the areas that they needed to just put more, you know, force into. Um, so I, I created that program globally. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, what resulted in, you know, a, a customer acquisition of 18% from, you know, 5% or less. And, uh, and, but, but like I said, um, you know, business changes occurred and there right. was, you know, change of um, administration, if you will. Um, and so I uh, departed uh, from Crocs. Um, and then later joined this other company called Auto Products or Auto Box. And I bet most of your um, audience knows the, the, the fake, you know, um, tank uh, cell phone case cases. They also, Auto Box also has uh, protective or, or stylish cases as well. And that was probably one of the best jobs, you know, I, I've had in my life. And, and the reason is it was just, it felt so right. It felt so on purpose. I loved, loved, loved the people that um, I worked for, I worked with, the people that, are, that were on my team. And every day I was commuting about 70 miles mm. uh, each way, each way, because uh, I was going from Golden to Fort Collins. And, um, but it didn't matter. I mean, I was pinching myself every day thinking, what's wrong with this? Why? This is so good. This is so good. Yeah. Um, but this is an interesting story that I um, went to sleep one night while I'm just living in this panacea and uh, woke up the next day and pretty much the entire management team is gone the next day. <laughs> wow. So we had a very, very abrupt change of administration and the owner, um, a gentleman by the name of Kurt Richards and his wife, Nancy Richards, 
They were the founders of uh, the, the brand. They came back in and they wanted to take their company back to, you know, where they thought the company needed to go. And that's totally cool. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing is when you, own, when you own a company, you can do whatever you want and yeah. good for him. So he took his company back and he, yeah. um, you know, and it was, it was probably not the best fit for me to stay. Um, but, you know, during the time that I was there, I, I just loved everything that I did and I worked for and did for the company. And after that, I was invited to join a startup by the name of Bold Betty's um, uh, as a co-founder. And what is Bold Betty's? Explain that to me, because it sounds really familiar to me, but I cannot put my finger on what it is. Yeah, Bold Betty's is an adventure platform for women. Their purpose is to uh, eliminate intimidation from outdoors and adventure for women, for everyday women. Okay. Uh, if you look at, you know, what media shows, you know, in terms of women in the outdoors, it's generally a very young, petite, gorgeous woman in her 20s mm-hmm. doing some crazy yoga pose on top of a mountain yeah. and and that's not me that's not you that's mo- that's not most people um and there's a lot of data and research out there that you know women participate in the outdoors 50 percent of men and outdoors and adventure is so liberating and so empowering for women and both betty's purpose is to make that accessible and really help women go out there and discover who they are about the catalyst being outdoors and adventure. I love it. So, I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and so I, I, I really had a great time um, as the chief marketing officer and uh, co-founder of Bold Betty's, and I won't, um, you know, uh, repeat what you shared in terms of you know the, the stuff that I did uh, while I was there, but I helped them help them in pretty significant ways. But back earlier this year, um, or gosh, it was probably January, February, um, you know, it was time for me to move on. Yeah. And that happens. Uh, that happened. I think a lot of your audience might be entrepreneurs or, or uh, co-founders. And, and that happens. I mean, co-founder um, disagreements, dynamics, they happen and, and it's natural. And at that time, you know, you have to do the right thing for the company and the right thing for the company was for me to, you know, move on. I'm still an investor in both Betty's. I, I wish them, you know, I, it's, it's to my benefits for them to succeed because right. I have my money in there. Um, right. but I'm not operating. I find it, you know, I find it interesting too. I, I do, you know, you strike me as someone who really thrives on the challenge. You thrive on the, the challenging stages of a company's growth and scale and, and scale plans. So it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I can see that anything that you join on that's at a startup phase, I, no matter what the circumstances are, I think that if you're not challenged, you'll want to move on to the next thing. And that literally is the true heart of an entrepreneur because, you know, you get something established and it's great. And all of that momentum and excitement that gets you from like the beginning day to like, you know, day 550 after that, eh, it's not quite as, there's not as much momentum or it's not as exciting. And I think that that's, that's definitely you. I totally can relate to that side of you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, I'm not a maintainer. Yeah. I, I, I like to I see love that. You're, yeah. 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 Give, me, give me a, I mean, I'm an engineer at heart. So, um, you know, I want to solve a problem. Give me a problem to solve. Give me a gnarly challenge. And, and I, I keep saying I, but it's not really I it's, it's we, it's yeah. me and the people that uh, that surround me. Yeah. We'll figure it out. We'll yeah. move the mountain, damn it. We'll get yeah. it done. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I love that. I totally see that. Thank so um, I just, and I don't even know where that maintainer came from, but somebody recently told me, because we were talking about, you know, you know, I started my own company a year ago and, you know, I'm like literally in the throes of last week, I launched three new initiatives. One was a digital product. One was an actual subscription box. So we have a brand new subscription box coming out to the market. I know very exciting called Grit, Grace and Glory. Um, And if you're interested in learning more, you can go to gx3box.com and find out and, you know, get pre-launch info. Um, But 
somebody told me they they said I am definitely not a maintainer because we were talking about like some systems and you know some automation for things and I'm like oh man do I have to do that part like can't I find somebody to do that I'm not good at that I want to I want to think about the next thing and what's coming next and they told me I was something else because there's the maintainer what's the other one what's the other the term creator. the creator yeah, so yeah the creator the maintainer and the destroyer Yes, yes. Yes. So I'm told that I am the creator and I should not force myself into the maintainer roles. Um, it, it, unless of course you have to while you're growing and you know, your resources are limited, but when the time is available that I should not put myself in the maintainer role because it's, it's not my forte. And I'm like, Hey, that I basically just got an out from having to do any accounting. That's what I heard. I heard, I don't have to do any book. I can find somebody else for that. <laughs> Yep. Yes, exactly. Right. I, yeah, I totally. See, so you can it. relate. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so when you left bold Betty's, what, what then, like what, where, what yeah. did you take your career? You know, I made a choice to be very, very selective and, and listen, um, mm. do less, listen more. Um, and, and it's been awesome. Mm. Uh, so, I, I, I've had several opportunities, several companies uh, came to me and, um, you know, some of them, you know, I unfortunately declined the offer. Um, some of them just, you know, we, it, it wasn't the right fit. Um, but, but this whole intention of listening and, and letting, letting the tea leaves speak, mm. um, has put me back into the startup world big time, but not as a startup operator, or at least that early stage of a startup, but as a startup advisor and a mentor and an investor. And it's been really, really rewarding. So uh, a couple of companies that I have been uh, you know, advising and I'm on their board of advisory, uh, it's been really awesome, you know, to, to see how I am helping, enabling these founders change the world. Mm. Um, and, and really, I'm changing the world through them. Uh, and I'm going to be working with another company. I can't name that, that yet because it's not final, but they're not in Colorado. They're out of, um, out of um, Florida. Um, and they're... Hopefully there'll be one more in um, Austin, Texas that I'm really excited about. So as a startup advisor and mentor, that's been just really, really rewarding to me. Um, I have recently uh, formed a partnership with one of my friends, um, uh, you know, in the form of an investment firm mm -hmm. and it's called Cyrus Ventures. Mm -hmm. um, and that's our vehicle to invest in early stage startups uh, and, uh, you know, I, I just, I just have loved that. And I, I'm sorry, I missed the entrepreneurship day, oh, uh, women yeah. entrepreneurship day. I was traveling. Um, and so listening to these, these signals that life is giving me that where my purpose is taking me, um, has been really, really rewarding. And it's, it's, it's taking me in a direction that feels right, that, I know I can make an impact that I am making an impact. Uh, you know, I, I just love it. I'm, I'm very glad that I've made that choice to not force myself into a role um, right after Bull Betty's yeah. and really allow the, the purpose to manifest itself to me in, in shapes and forms that uh, I hadn't realized before. Yeah. So amazing. It's important. it's important. It's yeah. important. And you know, this podcast is a perfect example of how, how, what that can look like, because, you know, I don't know if I shared the story with you, but I've been trying, you know, I, I worked almost four or five months on trying to launch this podcast. I had a couple of partners at the beginning and it just wasn't the right fit with one of them. And then another one, you know, of one day she's just like, you know what? I, this is about you. Like people want to hear from you. I'm, I'm like kicking you to the curb. Go, go do this on your own. And, 
in, in every reason, it made no sense on paper why I would keep doing this. And I really, you know, I started by wanting to share the journey of becoming an entrepreneur over the age of 40 for the first time, which is hard. It was hard. And so many other women, you know, that went before me were helping me or sharing their stories with me. And it was helping me so much that I felt like I wanted to share this, this experience. And again, every reason to quit anywhere along the path and really just focus on all the other stuff I'm doing, like building a business, you know, it just didn't make sense, but I was compelled. I was just compelled. I knew that it was, I knew that I, I, I should do this and then I met Mandy Connell. And as you know, I entered the podcast contest and won and the rest is history. So I understand, you know, following, following this, the signs or the feelings or the things that you know that you're compelled to do really helps keep you on your, on your path. And, you know, maybe this is something that comes with wisdom too. Um, you know, I'm not sure of your age, but I, I think you're close to my age and, you know, we've, we've lived a little bit. And so when, when you live a little, you gain the wisdom of knowing when you're feeling a certain way, doing a certain role or a certain part of your career, when it feels right, you know, you're on track. And now we know really how to listen when you're not on track. So I just think this podcast is an example of what you're talking about, because here I am, you know, I think that you're, you're somewhere in the thirties in terms of episode number. And I never in a million years thought that I would be here. In fact, if you would have told me like a year ago, that this would be such an important part of my life is sharing stories of people like you, Arazu, who are amazing. Mm-hmm. I would have thought that people were crazy, but <laughs> here we are. So listening, listening to what's coming your way and, and you know, what path you're meant to take is so important. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there, there are so many reasons to doubt that, right? I mean, yeah. when, when you, you just, you have so many options or you don't have so many options, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, you hear advice from left, right, up and down about what you should do, right? I mean, the, the- Oh, I still get it. People ask me all the time, like, why do you do that? Like, who do you, t- like, how do you talk to people? Like, you know, how can you talk for 30 minutes straight? That was the thing I heard from my family recently was, I've never known anybody that could talk for 30 minutes straight. And I'm like, really? I mean, I could probably go for three hours. I don't know about you. (laughs) I, you know, it's interesting as you and I have been talking for a few months now, you know, you you seem like you've done this all your life. This doesn't seem like a new gig for you. It seems like, my goodness, how, how did you not do this before? It's interesting. Yeah. There's somebody, uh, uh, you know, one of the top radio personalities that has, you know, kind of listened and reviewed my podcast um, has, has told me that I should have started this career years ago. And I'm like, well, I don't know why I didn't, but I'm doing it now. I mean, it's, it's, this isn't my career. This is just something I love to do because I see the part of it that's really special for me. And although we're sharing this for a lot of people, but the special part for me is that I get to learn from you too. And I feel like the, I say it all the time. I feel like the luckiest person in the world that I get to have, you know, podcasts and hang out with people like you and, and learn from your experiences because, you know, my process, I'm only a year in and it's been hard and, you know, there's a lot of things that I know that I still have to learn. And I want to share that with other people because there's somebody that's going to be where I once was, or I am today, that's going to hear this and say, oh my gosh, I can so relate. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's really what matters to me. And one thing I want to talk about, which was really telling to me is I saw a post you made on full social media and I want to move into the discussion around mentors because I saw a post that you made on social media about mentoring. And I think it, I don't remember the post, it doesn't matter, but it was, you were sharing an experience where you had reached out and you were offering time and support to somebody that didn't take you up on that offer. And I, in my brain, I'm like, what? <laughs> Who wouldn't take up that offer? And, and by the way, if you're extending any other offers, you know, I'm always over here <laughs> needing help. <laughs> and I, you know, I've had a few mentors that for the first time in my life, I actually formally asked them to help me at different stages. And it's, I haven't been very good at knowing how to manage that. And I didn't even really know how to ask. And in fact, I think somebody invaded my body the first time I said those words, because I've never said that before. And I, I think it's huge. So I want to hear all about your thoughts on mentoring and, and why, it, you know, what, what do you get from that driving force of giving? Yeah. You know, mentoring is so incredibly important. I can't even say enough about it. And I really wouldn't be where I'm at today without 
the support of my mentors and I, and I'm going to name them because they're so dear to me. Oh, I love that. I love yeah. that. Please do. Um, so number one is Mr. Paul Spear. Paul Spear is a larger than life human being and he lives in Vancouver, Washington. He is just an, you guys check him out. Paul Spear. He's an amazing, amazing man. And he was my first mentor. And you know, the thing that he said to me that stuck with me, um, and I was a young 20-some-year-old engineer, and I was getting mentorship from Paul, who was you know, a, a vice president at the time. The thing that he said to me that stuck with me is this. He said, Arzu, as your mentor, I will work as hard as you will, but not harder. Oh, I love that. And yeah, and, and you know, this is something that I've seen in my life as as I became a mentor and gave mentorship to other people is, um, you know, the, the onus is on mentee's shoulders. The, owner, the onus is on the portage's shoulders to make the effort, to make an ask, to um, be specific about how the mentor can help. If you go to someone and say, hi, I'm Arzu, um, I'm here to be mentored. Now, please mentor me. That's the waste. Don't do that. Mm. Um, be very, very specific about what you want. And with Paul's support and, and guidance, I, I really made some big advancements in my, in my career. Mm. And he's still my mentor. I still go, you know, whenever I go to Vancouver, Washington, um, I go see him. He's an amazing man. Uh, the second person that I do want to acknowledge is a gentleman by the name of Chris Kirkhoff. Um, Chris, if you're listening, hi, you and I talked just a couple days ago. Chris is retired. He's an amazing guy. He's a mentor. He's a friend. He is a confidant. Um, and, and yes, it was his guidance and support uh, that, again, gave me several big boosts in my career. And the last person I do want to acknowledge here is a gentleman by the name of Alan Cohen. Alan, I know you're not listening because <laughs> you're always working, but um, Alan is also an amazing leader and really showed me what level five leadership, which Jim Collins calls in his book, Give, uh, Good to Great, what that looks like. Uh, but all of these people, they mentored me in different ways. So mm. Paul, for example, was instrumental for me to understand what leadership is all about. Mm. What is leadership command and control? Or is leadership about uh, leaving a cause behind that others will follow? Is leadership about helping others discover what they didn't think they had? Um, and that's, I give all that credit to, to Paul. With Chris Kirchhoff, it was the resilience. It was about finding that resilience in me mm. and, and bringing it out and having the courage to put that in, in, in action and let that define my path forward. And with Alan, Co uh, Alan Cohen, um, everything in between. Um, but, but really, as much as we women want to feel like we can do it all, we should do it all, we don't need anybody's help, it's not about that. It's not about what we need. It's about what we can achieve with a, a circle of mentors being our support, being our guides, being, being surrounded by that circle of mentors. So for all of you women, you know, really think about who you want to have in your, in your mentorship circle. Um, and be very, very specific about how they can help you, what you need from them. So like, they, so do you mean, so if I, I'll just give an example. Um, you know, if I, if there's somebody that I think that I can see that they've been where I know I need to go to be where I need to get, does that make sense? So if I see somebody has gone through or has been successful at a skill or a part of their business growth that I haven't been through yet, and I know that they have a lot to teach me and, you know, is it suitable to, you know, approach them and just say, Hey, listen, this particular area of business is something you're experienced at. And I'm not, you know, would you mentor me through this, through this process of growth? Um, I, I don't, I don't know anybody that has said no. I don't know anybody that's asked somebody that said no, but I know a thousand people who've never asked because they're afraid that the person is going to say no. So that's, yeah. 
Is that a good approach? Absolutely. First of all, that's very flattering to anyone. Yeah. To, to go to them and say, hey, you know something that I don't, will you help me learn it? That's very flattering. Everybody yeah. will be flattered by that. And guess what? If they say no, then you move on. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Nothing. Yeah. They said no. Okay, they don't have the time. They, they don't have the energy. That's okay. Yeah. You move on. Um, but, but ask for what you want. Yeah. Um, it's, and 99% of time, people will say yes. And so if they do say yes, do you suggest like a, like a formal like thing or do you more just say, Hey, let's sit down and do you have, you know, one afternoon a month where we can spend like three hours together going through my questions? Cause there's somebody that's helping me now in a particular area of my business and she has been wonderfully open to help. And I know she doesn't have the time, not really. And I know that, you know, I'm a small fish in her big pond and this particular area that she's helping me with when we sit down, she's like, all right, what's going on? What's happened? What's new? And she just asks me these questions. I already know. I know that I need to be prepared in advance because she's going to ask me, what do you need from me? And I recently went through a challenge I was having on how I was like visually laying out my 2019 planning. And I'm like stuck because I feel like it's 15,000 different directions at this stage of my business. And I didn't know how to drill that down. I just didn't even, I didn't, I didn't know how to make it a usable visual living, breathing document that's going to carry me through the next year. And she walked me through step by step. And at the end of the call, she, I mean, she actually asked me again, like, I have, you know, two other people I think would be good fits for you. Can I send you an intro now? And I'm like, uh, yeah, thank you. And I hung up the phone and I felt like it was a real one way she's giving. And I, I don't feel like I'm giving in return. And that's, um, you know, that's kind of a hard, hard thing for people to ask for help. Well, I think, so first of all, I would recommend that whoever feels that way, tell that to your mentor, because for a lot of us, for me, yeah, giving is receiving. Yeah. I, the joy that I get, that I receive, when I see the light bulbs go off in someone's mind, that is the gift that they are giving me. Um, yeah. And I know I asked a whole bunch of questions there in that one little rant I just gave. So I think I also asked, like, how would you approach it formally, informally? Yeah. So again, it depends on the two people mm. that are entering this mentor-mentee relationship. Uh, they, they need to have an honest dialogue conversation about what this looks like. In the case of Chris, uh, in the case of Paul Spear, we did have a formal relationship. And, you know, I would go to the meeting prepared with an agenda uh, we had a set schedule about when we were going to meet and, um, you know, he would give me homework and I would do the homework. Um, and because if I was going to take his time and get his advice, then I needed to act on his advice. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't just something that I'm like, okay, well, give me your thoughts. I, I could, I could choose it, choose to accept it or not accept it. Um, in the case of Chris Kirkhoff, it's a very informal relationship. And every mm -hmm. six months we get on the phone and we talk about what's new and he gives me perspective and a whole lot of light bulbs go off. Um, and so it depends on the two people that enter in this relationship and what that looks like. But one thing that is constant is the mentee, the protege has to prepare. Mm -hmm. it, it yeah, is, I agree. You know, they have to be very, very clear about what they want out of this relationship, out of this meeting. Do they want advice? Do they want connections? Do they want know-how? And even, you know, in cases, they might want a sounding board. They might yeah. just want to have a sounding board. And that's fine. Just They just need to be specific. And sure in fact, that. I would say one of the first informal uh, mentors that I had when I really was really in the early stages, that's, that was pretty much the role that he filled for me. Um, and his name is Miles. So Miles, if you're listening, thank you. He was wonderful. I mean, I sat down with a thousand different ideas on how I was going to build this company. And he's like, whoa, Nelly, like, let's streamline this. Like, like, let's look at these and break these down into chunks. And what do you think about this? and he has experience in my field and so he could also say you know people aren't going to get that piece you know if you're working with this particular area of your niche you have to think about what they know already before you walk into that door and, and so he really helped me like drill down my ideas and um, you know I also originally had another uh, partner on a new project we were working on and he was you know he was somebody that I could just bounce things off of and he would basically say I'd be very worried about this he was actually the voice of 
reason in the height of my excitement and sort of like franticness. And I appreciated that a lot, but he was definitely a sounding board. And I think that we undervalue that, mm -hmm. you know, because our friends and family don't always understand. Exactly right. right? And our friends and family are not always unbiased either. Yeah. Exactly. Right? You're talking about the voice of reason. Yeah. So our friends and family, oftentimes they just be, become a voice of support. Yeah. And um, what you need, you need that yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. a mentor is somebody that has no vested interest. So they're, they're basically going to be able to give you the hard kind of facts about yourself. And one thing that you mentioned that I want to acknowledge that I think is really important is the confidentiality, like to have somebody be a confidant in in the areas that you know you're struggling is important because it's hard to admit the areas that you need help in we none of us like to do that especially as entrepreneurs right we're expected to keep this certain level of persona up here high and then admitting the areas that you still need help makes you very vulnerable and that confidentiality piece is huge it's so huge it's so huge and you know don't forget, we all, as much as we want to be superhumans, we're all human beings. Yeah. We all have fall, f flaws and we all have limitations. And uh, that's just being a part of yeah. who we are. No. So I know that we're getting close to running out of time and I could talk to you all day because I, I really Aww, think thank the, you topic, the topics that you are so uh, um, educated and experienced in is so interesting to me. Thank and you. I appreciate everything. But you know, I want to know like, what happens if a mentor doesn't work out? Like, how do you, if it's somebody that you've kind of created a friendship with and you still want to maintain that connection for whatever reason, like how do you end the mentor relationship and still maintain it that, you know, either friendship or connection or whatever that is? Just, just be honest, be, be, be honest that, you know, I, I mean, I have done that with, um, a, you know, someone that became a friend and, you know, we, I said to her that, look, you know, I don't think I can be, you know, I can give you my honest, unbiased perspective anymore because I, you know, because you're such a dear friend now. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, let's move on and, you know, let's try to find someone else that can be your mentor. And let's just be being honest and authentic. Yeah. And I, I think that that's important too, because if it's, or, or maybe you've outgrown that mentor and you know, you've, they've really helped you through that certain area that you needed help with letting them know that they've helped you in that area. And now you're actually going to work with somebody who has a specialty in another area that you need help, I think is really the important piece and acknowledging their, their work. Because I know for me, those that have given me time, I, I just feel so honored that they would, you know, dedicate some of their their life to making me better at what I do I, I mean that's just to me it's it's an amazing it's amazing yeah yeah I think that you know just honor what you have and what you have gotten and be honest about where you need to go next and, and hopefully totally and hopefully one day I can do that for somebody else that would be my goal is to be able to to do the same thing that people helped me with and and have that you know cycle continue on well, I tell you this, Taverly, you are doing it right now through your podcast. Oh. You are mentoring and helping a whole lot of people just by bringing the stories and bringing your own perspective into out in the open. Oh. So you are doing it. You just like literally just filled up my joy bucket for the day. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. So Arzu, I'm yay. I loved having you on today. And I see that we Thank should you. do, uh, I actually made a note here that I think we could do a whole nother podcast on like investments and startup funding. And so I, I've, I've noted that. So people stay tuned. I think we're going to have her back. Um, and Thank Arzu, you. how can people reach you? What's the best way they can find you? So I have a really, really strange name, you all. So um, I'll spell my name for you. It's A-R-E-Z as in zebra, O-U-R-Z-U. And my last name is Z as in zebra, A-R-A, F as in Frank, S as in Susan, H as in Henry, A as in Apple, N as in Nancy, R-Z-U Zarafshan. You can follow me on Twitter. Um, and my handle is R-Z-U Zarafshan, one word. <laughs> You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash RZU. Uh, you could also find me on my website, which is rzu.me. 
And you know what? I'll go ahead and include this in the show notes too. So if anybody has any trouble spelling, they'll be able to just click of a magic button and boom, they can find you just like that. Um, so my last question for you, because I like to ask, you know, my guests, you know, where you sit in terms of what percentage of grit and grace that you are in, in your life. What percentage of grit and grit, uh, gr uh, grit and grace yeah. is in my life? Yeah. So I like to say that it, it does probably change daily, but in general, we all have this different part of our, our personality, right? And how we operate. So for me, I'm probably 70% grit, 30% grace, although I strive for 50, 50, I, I strive for 50, 50, but I'm probably 70% grit. <laughs> That's such a good question. I, I think I'm 95% grit. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So that's, see, this is exactly why we get along so well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I mean, the grace is important. It's important because it, it makes us more, you know, relatable and it, more creative and it gives us more time for reflection and it's good. You need it. But I think that when you're in grind mode, you need grit. You need grit. Yeah. You need grit. For sure. Yeah. Well, this has yes. been so amazing. Thank you so much. And everyone, I really appreciate, you know, you listening to another one of Grit and Grace's amazing episodes. If you have any comments, you can find us on Grit and Grace podcast on Facebook and leave us a comment. We will share it there or across any of our channels. And my friends, continue being as fierce as you can be. Thank you, everyone. I love being here. Thank you, Taverly. It was awesome.